Friends, welcome to Word on Fire Catholic Ministries. Word on Fire is an apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization, using media both old and new to share the faith on every continent and to facilitate an encounter with Christ and His Church. The efforts of Word on Fire engage the culture and bring the transformative power of God's Word where it is most needed. Today, we invite you to join Bishop Robert Barron as he preaches the gospel and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each one of us. Peace be with you. Friends, it's my great privilege this third Sunday of Easter to preach on one of the most magnificent texts in the New Testament, a masterpiece within the masterpiece. I'm talking about the story of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. I say that masterpiece within the masterpiece because the whole of the Gospel of Luke is such a literary gem, and this is kind of the, oh, the most beautiful facet of that gem, if you want. What is it about this narrative that so beguiles our minds and so stirs our hearts? Why have artists and poets and preachers returned to it again and again? Well, it's not only a great literary and theological masterpiece. It, it often it, it speaks, too, to some of the deepest spiritual questions that we have. Now, I want to offer today a, a somewhat novel interpretation, one that takes its inspiration from the style of the Church Fathers. And one I'll confess to you, I just ran across fairly recently, though I've been studying this passage and I've been preaching on it for decades now, I just came across this recently, and it struck me as a very intriguing way to read the story. Here's the first thing to keep in mind. St. Luke, the author of this gospel, about whom we know not very much, to be frank with you, but judging from what he wrote, we certainly know he was an ardent and faithful student of the Hebrew Scriptures. You know, for all the authors of the New Testament, what we call the Old Testament is what they would have just had in their blood and their bones. It's what they, it's what they turned to. It was their matrix for meaning and everything else. And so, as Luke composes his gospel, he's always got the Old Testament in mind. Now, one of the most important and elemental texts of the Old Testament is, of course the story of the fall of Adam and Eve. And I'm going to suggest to you that this provides an interpretive key to understanding Emmaus more fully. We hear that our first parents ate of the fruit of the tree, and at that moment, quote, their eyes were opened, and they knew that they were naked, in a word, their eyes were opened and they became aware of their own sin and shame. And yet, God comes to them. Listen now. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. So keep that image in mind. God walking now at this cool, beautiful time of the day. Think for desert people. That was the best time of the day. Despite the sin of Adam and Eve, God comes and walks with them. They hid themselves out of shame. 
They were trying to prevent God from recognizing them. In a word, their sin had led to a deep alienation from God, and yet God was moving to overcome it. Now, I submit to you, everybody, there's a very interesting correlation between that very well-known story and the one under consideration today. So the Emmaus account opens with two disciples, and one is named, but the other one isn't. And really, from ancient times, it's been speculated, could they be a man and his wife? We don't know that. It's not said clearly, but why not? This couple is going from Jerusalem to a town some seven miles from the capital toward Emmaus. Now, within the symbolic universe of Luke's gospel, this is a journey away from the garden or away from salvation. Why? Well, because everything happens in Jerusalem. Jesus goes up to Jerusalem. That's where he's crucified. That's where the resurrection takes place. That's where the coming of the Spirit happens. Jerusalem is the center. Jerusalem is salvation. So these two erstwhile disciples are walking away from Jerusalem. Like Adam and Eve after the fall, indeed like all of us sinners, they tend to walk in the wrong way. But now listen. Just as in Genesis 3, the Lord God comes to walk with them. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, this is the most comforting message in both of these narratives. No matter what we do, no matter how far we wander in the wrong direction, God comes to walk with us. Can I just say that again? Fellow sinners, right? We're all in the same boat here, every one of us. We wander away from God. We wander toward Emmaus, away from Jerusalem. But no matter how far we walk, no matter what we've done, God comes to walk with us. Stay with Genesis for a second, like seeking us out. Even though we try to hide ourselves in our shame, God comes seeking us out. Now, here's a first, I think, really eloquent reversal between these two stories. In the Genesis story, Adam and Eve disguise themselves so God won't find them. In Luke's narrative, God, as it were, disguises himself. I'm quoting now, so they were prevented from recognizing him. Now, again, it's an interesting little reversal. He's not doing it, obviously, out of a desire to distance himself from them, but rather what? To lure them gradually back into discipleship. With delicious irony, he asked them, what are you talking about as you make your way? And they famously respond by mentioning Jesus, but they're account of the Lord and his life reveals the effects of sin. How come? Well, they've taken in all the data about Jesus, and and they recount it quite accurately, right? There's this great man, Jesus. He was revered by the people. Uh, He was betrayed by the elders. He He was put to death. 
And there's even been a report that he's risen from the dead. Yeah, they got the data right. But what don't they have right? They haven't understood the pattern that gives meaning to the data. They know the facts about Jesus, but they don't see him yet. It's the difference between knowing about somebody and knowing somebody, right? I mean, you can learn a lot about someone by reading their, their you know, going to Google and read their Wikipedia page or something. You can learn a lot of facts about them, but only when you meet that person do you come to know him. Well, that's the trouble here with the disciples on the road to Emmaus. They know the data, but they don't know him. They don't know the pattern. Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them what referred to him in all the scriptures. That magnificent line, I think it really is tremendous. Because he's not saying, oh, let me show you the two or three little things that make reference to me. No, he's saying, notice how all of the scripture refers to me. So that line is meant to sum up the entire history of salvation. See, here in short, everybody, is what God has done to solve the problem that began in the Garden of Eden. Moses and all the prophets, that's shorthand for God's long journey with his holy people, Israel. But what makes their hearts catch fire is how he relates this entire history to himself. All of it pointed toward him. All of it was at least indirectly about him. All of it finds its purpose and fulfillment in him. He, Jesus now, properly understood, is the solution to the problem. Now, another parallel. We remember the trouble began with bad eating, didn't it? Adam and Eve aggressively taking from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, arrogating to themselves what's the prerogative of God. It's a bad meal that caused the problem. Notice, please, everybody, how good meals figure so prominently in the ministry of Jesus. His great open table fellowship culminating in the Last Supper. And so here in this marvelous story, he sits down with his wandering disciples and he eats with them. But see, notice the crucially important difference. Whereas Adam and Eve grasped at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Jesus now feeds them. And he feeds them precisely with the sign of his suffering and death. In other words, whereas Adam and Eve, that means all of us sinners, ate on their own accord and for their own self-aggrandizement, these two disciples are fed by the Lord's self-gift. See, I think, friends, to get that is to get the whole story. And get the point of this parallel with Adam and Eve. They grasped and aggressively took for their own benefit. The disciples now allow themselves to be fed by what? By the Lord's own self-gift. That's what the, what the broken bread means. And then comes what I think is the most interesting parallel and, and why this reading struck me so much. What do we hear? Once they eat, 
their eyes are opened. It's the same line. It's the same idea from the Adam and Eve story. But whereas Adam and Eve's eyes were open to their shame, they were open to their sense of sin, they knew they were naked, now the eyes of the disciples on the road to Emmaus are opened to see their Savior. They understand that Jesus is in their midst. And then finally, what do they do as a result? They head back to Jerusalem. Adam and Eve were expelled from paradise. That's what sin does to us. The disciples on the road to Emmaus, they were wandering away from Jerusalem. See, that's all of us, everybody. That's, that's our story. But now these disciples, having eaten the right way, having been fed by God's self-gift, having had their eyes opened now positively, they go back to Jerusalem. They start walking again in the right way. So here's the thing now for all of us. If we have eyes to see, this story sums up for us the entirety of biblical revelation. If we have the eyes to see, this is the story of the transition from sin to grace, from bad eating to the right kind of eating, from wandering away to moving back to Jerusalem. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.